You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition, shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry, the home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. And now, here are today's hosts. Good morning and welcome back to the All About Real Estate Edition. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my co-host and friend, Carol Morgan. Before we uh, kick things off, however, we want to thank New American Funding for being our 2020 show sponsor, our ninth year on the air. It's going to be a great year with them as our partner. All right, good morning, Carol. You've been looking forward to this one. Uh, This is going to be a really interesting conversation. Kick us off. Well, I have known this gentleman for quite some time and very excited to have him on my show, which I guess is one of the benefits of us all being at home now and the show being on Zoom versus in studio. So a big welcome to Dr. Elliot Eisenberg. He is the president of Graphs and Laughs. So you guys hang on to your hats today or hang on to your bow ties and prepare to laugh as we talk about the economy. Well, Elliot, great to have you. Thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you making time to join us. Before we uh, kick it off, uh, much to discuss. Tell us a bit about you and your background. Wow. Uh, well, I was born, okay, I'm a local from about 2000 to 2011 or somewhere around there, I was at the, at the National Association of Home Builders. So I spent a lot of time thinking about housing at the home builders. And prior to that, I got my PhD and I looked at the issue of house prices, taxes and home prices. So I've been a houser, if you will, since 1996. So it's over 20 years. Housing has been a primary thought, a concern of mine. And about in 2005, so that's almost 15 years ago, I began public speaking. It began as an accident, like most things in life. Housing was booming, and the home builders were trying to offer new services to their members. And they said, Ellie, why don't you go out and talk about the benefits of home building? And one thing led to another, and suddenly I had this new glorious career that was kickstarted by the NHB. So I'm terribly appreciative of the opportunities they gave me. And then, of course, the housing market sort of declined, shall we say in 8, 9, 10, 11. And at that point, it was it made sense to go on my own. And I regret not going earlier. Not that the home builders weren't good to me, but it's been so much fun being your own boss and doing your own thing and being able to say what you want and being somewhat argumentative or whatever it is. And, and I have things to say. And I, and I was a microeconomist at the home builders. Now I'm a macroeconomist, so it's fun. You get some brain food, if you will, you know, new diet. That's really great too. And I've, I've been blessed with great friends like Carol who keep me in mind and promote me and so on and so forth. And I try and keep my end of the deal by making economics at least fun. I may have bad forecasts, but at least they're fun. They're definitely fun. And the name of your company even speaks to that. So tell us more about Graphs and Laughs. Wow. Yeah. So Graphs and Laughs. I was thinking of making it Laughs and Graphs. That sounds almost better because you're funny economist, but no, I'm an economist first. So the graphs had to go before the laughs, even though it doesn't sound quite so smooth. So what I basically do is I travel and speak. So before the coronavirus began, I would be on airplanes flying around all over the country, a little bit over the world, not a lot, but some, talking about the economy and how it's doing to home builders, realtors, bankers, auto manufacturers, energy companies, gasoline associations, insurance companies, trade associations, about trying to explain what's going on in an easy to absorb and memorable way. That's the key. And again, I have great clients, so they bring me back and word of mouth helps. And I put out a blog every day, which we'll talk about later. People enjoy me. I make economics fun. I do. I I think about it all day long. I should be thinking about perhaps drugs or women. I don't know. But I end up thinking about economics a lot. 
And it's been good to me. And I love to share my thoughts and thinking with people. I care about what people know and I make myself available. And it's got to be a win-win. That's also important, right? In business, you always want to make sure the other side, the, the, the client, they feel happy and they've gotten value for money. That's really important to me. No doubt about it. So let's dive in then. So net job creation, the change in total employment compensation, the change in the amount of outstanding revolving credit. These are some of the uh, pieces of uh, economic data that you suggest are important. Uh, what's happening? Them? How are they trending? It's complicated. It really is. This recession is really unusual. It's different. First of all, the last recession was focused on the housing market. So the housing market took the brunt of the hit because we had overbuilt in six, seven, eight, or five, six, seven, whatever it was. And then things fall off a cliff and it's focused in housing. So housing gets really decimated. This time, housing is collateral damage like everything else, like autos and restaurants. And there's sectors that are better or worse. And it turns out housing is doing really well. This is remarkable. Housing, you know, they talk about the V-shaped recovery and most sectors aren't going to be V-shaped, but housing really is V-shaped. And you look at all kinds of data. Uh, pending sales have turned around. These new sales are picking up. Starts are picking up. But mortgage applications are the best indicator because you, you're not going to get a house without a mortgage. First time mortgage apps, not refi. And this is, it was down, it went straight down for four weeks from early March to early April, down 35% year over year. And since then, straight up. And now it's almost 20% up year over year. So you've gone from minus 35 to plus 20. That's a 50 percentage point rise. It's a classic V-shaped recovery. So housing is one of the few sectors, autos also, that really were clunked and then come roaring back. I wish I could say it was the rest of the economy too, but it's not. The rest of the economy is much more going to be grinding it out, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, and depends on the sector. But housing and autos, wow. And it could be new, new housing is even better than existing housing mm-hmm. because it's untouched by human hands. It's in suburbia. It's lower density. There's a place for Junior to do homework and maybe my wife or husband to do exercise and me to have a Zoom room or something. So suddenly, you know, 12 years ago, people thought you know, when this recession hit, people thought in the housing sector, oh, my gosh, we're going to have a replay of 08. This could not be 180 degrees different than it was last time. So whatever you thought was happening, just throw it out of your head, accept the good news that's going on. And, and moreover, the people who've lost their jobs. Well, they're not home buyers generally. Some of them inevitably are, but they tend to be less educated, more entry-level people. Mm-hmm. So the people being hit aren't even our potential clients. This is remarkable that we've almost, it's almost, this recession's almost bypassed home building. There's been some hit, of course, in construction activity. In December, Jan, Feb, construction activity was annualized 1.6 million. It was the best numbers in 12 or 13 years. There was a bump up in November, December, Jan, Feb because of warm weather in the Midwest and so on. It's clumped way down, but it's on the way up again. We're living large in this sector. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty fortunate, aren't we? And it's so true, the things you say. You sit here and you look at my big open office and you think of the Zoom room and it's so true. You know, one of the number one things I'm hearing that buyers really want now in a house is a home office with a door. And we've built all these big, beautiful open floor plans. And I was laughing. I realized how open my house was several years ago. Just got, the dog just turned six. But when I got an eight-week-old puppy and brought him home, and there was nowhere I could shut him in the entire house unless he was crated. 
because they're just, you know, unless it was a bathroom, there were no doors in my house. Right. <laughs> so, right. so it's kind of interesting, but I think, I think there's some things like that are going to change. But, uh, right. It, it, it may not be a long-term thing. I don't know how long it happens after we get the vaccine or something, but right. some, there'll be some element of this that becomes, you know, one or 2% it becomes permanent. And this yeah. makes new homes much more desirable. The existing homes are desirable too because we're, we're, we're now living in our home for a long time. We're months cooped in our home. We're saying, I'd like to be maybe near family or maybe conversely away from family. <laughs> yep. Drug sales are going up. Booze sales are going up. Ammo sales are going up. Gun sales are going up. This is all part And of home things. sales are going up. Home sales are going up. <laughs> Marijuana is really booming, right? It's a, it's a, it's a necessity if you're, if you're in the right state. If it's illegal, please don't consume it. I didn't recommend it. <laughs> But the key thing also here is don't look at housing and say, oh, housing is an indicator of how the economy is. That's not true. Housing is, I hate to say this, it's a much smaller sector of our economy than it was 12 or 13 years ago. Right. It was losing on 5 6% of the economy. Now it's more like 2 3 So even autos and housing together will not drive us out, no pun intended, out of the recession. They'll help right. get us out there. But they're not going to be the prime movers here. It's going to be other stuff. But hey... Take it where you can get it. This is a great thing. Ellen, I have to ask you while I got you on the call, what about commercial real estate? What's your thinking there? Organizations are learning that they can operate pretty efficiently with folks working at home and technology has stepped up to provide the tools that we need. Any thoughts on what's going to happen, I guess, short and long term with the commercial real estate industry? I mean, in the long run, things are going to be fine. There's no question. We're going to need, we're going to go shopping in malls or something resembling malls down the road. So mm-hmm. in the long run, we're not going to vastly change our lifestyle here. But in the short run, I think the dislocations are going to be quite severe. And if you look at commercial real estate in general, you can look at retail, forget it. No one's going to build a mall right now. There's no point. We have excess capacity. A hotel? I don't really think so. How about student housing? Uh, not really. Mm-hmm. How about multifamily even? Uh, it's hard. Are they going to pay their rent? I don't want to go. So if you build commercial and it involves people, that looks bad. But if you build, for example, cell phone towers or storage facilities, or you sell storage, do it yourself, or refrigerated cold storage for a company like Uber Eats or something, or building dark kitchens, they call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kitchen, but they're they're in a warehouse somewhere. And they make Chinese food and French food and Italian food all in one place. Those are booming. Warehouses, they're booming, but there's no people in these places. So if you can do commercial with no people, that's awesome. Public construction is not going to do well either because governments have no money. They're not going to be doing a lot of airport expansion because their landing fees stink. They can't do roads because gasoline taxes are well down. Right. And we also don't know the value of all of commercial real estate mm-hmm. because we, there hasn't been enough transactions done. So what's a hotel worth or what's a multi-fam building? What's an office building worth? We don't know what it's worth. The sellers still think it's February 2020, and the buyers want to pay 20 cents on the dollar. I mean, I'm just looking at that point. So if you buy this or build it, you have to have a long enough term horizon if you're building an office space or you know, retail space or a hotel or something. You have to have a balance sheet that will get you from here to there, or else you have to have a concept that you think will go up go right away. A new hotel design where there's no people, your phone opens the door, your phone does everything mm-hmm. for you. The room is hermetically sealed. You wash it yourself. They give you a discount. If you clean it every day, they pay you $5. I, I, I'm joking, but you've got to rethink the whole restaurant. You know, you look at the data right now in Texas, 
and restaurant attendance is going down because coronavirus numbers in Texas are going up. I'm in Florida. I'm sure the numbers are the same here too. So you've got to re-engineer your entire concept. So if you can re-engineer and you have a strong balance sheet, great, do it. But otherwise, I'd hold back on the commercial side, except for these non-people sectors. Yeah. So there are economists who forecast that at 15% of gross domestic product, that housing is going to lead the economic recovery. Do you share that opinion? I don't. <laughs> housing is too small. It's too small. Okay. It, it shrank over the last 12 or 13 years. It steadily declined. The number of homes building, home builders themselves just weren't building a lot of units. It wasn't that they didn't want to build the units. They weren't able to build the units because they couldn't lower the price. The whole entry-level home market really has been decimated because of rules, regulations, land use, zoning, yeah. densities, and so on. So the number of homes being built fell from 12 years ago. It was too much, but it was 2 million, 1.6, 1.7 million. It steadily declined over those 10 or 12 years, essentially, eight, nine, to like six, eight, eight hundred thousand. Yeah. began upward drift to 1.2 million, but 1.2 million, the decade of the 2010s were the lowest home construction decade in, in, in 60 or 70 or 80 years. And the GDP kept going up. So GDP is increasing, home construction percentage-wise declines. It, it matters, don't get me wrong, there's millions of jobs here, but right. this recession is going to turn around based on a, a vaccine. It's going to turn around on customers, come, people like you and I feeling safe going to a restaurant, going to a, a tractor pull, an opera concert, a baseball game, whatever it is, right? It's going to be services that drive mm-hmm. this recovery, not so much manufacturing and construction, which is more traditionally the case. Because as interest rates fall, central bank lowers rates and promises low rates, the interest rate sectors of the economy are housing, autos, and commercial construction. But this time, the first two are too small. The third one's not really going to happen. It's going to have to be us feeling comfortable and us believing we're not going to get sick. There's a health component to it that's completely different to every other recession. You know, I've long tried to think about this, the whole wideness of this COVID-19 and what it's done to, I mean, we're approaching 125,000 deaths in the United States. The economic disruption it's caused, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of negative about this how it's affected our politics. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of negative, but I've tried to look at this. There's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. with this too. And that's such a broad comment. You can speak to that to a number of different fronts, but certainly with, with the home building industry, I think it's been a tremendous thing for them in terms of them learning these tools, learning how to sell homes in a, in a new era. I think there's a lot of good from this, yeah? Absolutely. If you look at home building, it's an industry that essentially hasn't changed in forever. They've invented the roof truss, that was cool, and the pneumatic drill. And that's essentially it. Uh, Productivity, labor productivity in the industry has declined because of government regulations and and zoning and all these others that have forced builders to do these things. It's reduced productivity. This may cause us to rethink everything. It's a great opportunity for a global rethink. How do we build everything? Let's rethink every step in the entire process so we have fewer people on the site because we can't have more than a few people because of of social distancing issues. And this may unleash some real new creativity. You read interviews with some of the CEOs, not home builders, but like a bank, like Jamie Dimon or Moynihan from Bank of America. And he says, I read one of them say something like, I would have loved to try and send all my workers home, but had it failed, I would have been an idiot and they would have fired me from my job. But now we've been given this new lease on life and a lot more rope to try all these new things. So 
something's going to work here. I don't know what it is and I don't know how it's going to be, but some builders are going to figure out, some retailers are going to figure it out and they're going to make a killing and provide a new service and do it in a way that's, that's, that's COVID you know, pandemic proof. So we don't care if we have a vaccine. We're going to go to that restaurant because they've got air circulators over every person that are mobile or something. I don't know how they do it. Fans. But builders should do the same thing. Take advantage of this. And try mm-hmm. a bunch of new things. Yeah. Realtors yeah. are virtual shows. And you can close on your house. I sold my house in the middle of the pandemic from 2,000 miles away. Yeah. I never saw the house. Wow. It was Fantastic. Great. Yeah. Yes. This innovation will come from this, no question. Builders should, should seize on it. Instead of doing the old tried and true, we have to break out of that and lower costs because if we can increase productivity, we can lower the price of the house, let's more people, and we can get back to a little bit, at least some of that, even at the upper end of the entry level. That would be a big improvement. Are you ready to own a home but don't know where to start? Speak to a local expert at New American Funding. Get pre-qualified and start looking for your dream home. They make home buying easy and convenient with a variety of home loan options. New American Funding is devoted to helping families finance their home because they want everyone to achieve the American dream, home ownership. New American Funding's technology is what sets them apart, whether connecting with your home loan professional in person, online, or through the app, they are there to answer any questions. Call today to get pre-qualified. For more information, call 678-898-3540. That's 678-898-3540. So you're an economist, so you must have a crystal ball. Yeah, exactly. How long do you think it's going to take for the economy overall to recover from the shutdown due to COVID? It's a great question. And let me, let's first, the, the, the news is generally good. So the recession began in March, right? We know that because end of Feb was super. The stock market began to go down last week of February. And then they began to get nervous about Corona. And the lockdowns began in mid-March. So March, April, May, June, I think that's the length of the recession. I think now we're already seeing everything beginning to turn up. So economists have a very strange notion of recessions. Recessions end when things stop getting worse. Okay. So if you imagine yourself in a ditch with a, with a shovel and you're digging the ditch deeper, that's the recession. As soon as you take the shovel and put it down, the recession's over. You're terrible. The economy can be disastrously bad, but it's no longer getting worse. So it's a, I think it's a four-month recession, which is the shortest ever. I looked at data going back to prior to the Civil War, and their shortest was a six-month recession in 82. Oddly enough, the second shortest recession was seven months, and that was following the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1919. Wow. Right, because the pandemic goes away, then people get out of their house, and things start to go. So the recession's short, but the recovery will take a while, because Mm -hmm. in in Q1, which is Jan through March, we experienced a five percentage point decline in GDP annualized. So in the quarter, the actual decline was a quarter of that, 1.25%. A real GDP just disappeared. That's six months of GDP growth in the course of a year because GDP grows by about two and a quarter percent a year. We lost six months of growth in Q1. In Q2, we're going to lose, I used to think about 40% annualized, but things have gotten better. So now I'm thinking negative 30%. Mm. It's a lot better, but it's still terrible. 
But 30% means a 7.5 percentage point decline in real GDP over the quarter. Real GDP decline. So 7.5 plus 1 and a quarter, we're looking at 9. Make it 10 for make it easy. 10 percentage point real decline. In GDP. That's almost five years of economic growth, between four and five years. So we've mm. knocked out 16, 17, 18, 19, just gone. That's how wow. Now, Q3 and Q4, if COVID doesn't come back in a big, bad way and really do major closing, little closings here and there, different cities or states, okay, fine. If we don't have a worsening trade war with Europe, which I'm nervous about now, there's a possibility. And Congress comes through with more money. If you have all those things happen, Q3 and Q4 should be good such that GDP at the end of the year is 6% less than what it was when we started. Not 10. So we fall to 10 at the bottom of Q2. And then we go up in Q3 and Q4 and make up 40% of the loss. We're now down six percentage points in GDP. If GDP growth averages, say, 3% a year in 21 and 22, which is above trend growth because we have lots of unemployed people who can come back to work. By the end of 22, we're back to where we were in early 19. So it's a three-year process to get real GDP back. It will take longer for employment to come back because all these firms will have learned how to do more with less. Right. Oh, we're not going to fly to a meeting. We'll do Zoom. Right. We're going to order in the food. We're not going to go. And on and on and on. When you did surveys, I see surveys of companies. They ask, are you going to bring back people the same number of people with the same number of hours? Only 50% say that. Wow. 50% say fewer workers, fewer hours, or both fewer workers and fewer hours. So it'll take at least another year or two beyond that to get labor numbers back. But there should be good, pleasant growth. Mm -hmm. And so the next, Starting now, end of Q2, which is which it actually just happened a couple of days ago, and now we're in July. This should begin a very pleasant process of six to twelve months, nine to a really well above trend growth. But the growth will slow as we move towards trend going forward. So the recovery will be good. It'll start out the recession hit very hard down. It'll come back initially a bit like a V for the first quarter or two of Q3. Now that we're in Q3 and Q4, maybe, but then it will pivot. And the slope will decline and go more mm-hmm. like that. So it's going to quick and then much more slow. Mm-hmm. But good, good growth. So when you think of that long-term plan, are you including a second wave? I mean, there's all this discussion of a second wave of this virus. And in the last week or so, uh, the market reacted to you know the sudden surge of new cases across the, the U.S. And you kind of expect, we all expected that, I think. This is not the second wave. Everyone, some right. people are thinking this is the second wave. It's not. And it's hard to really tell when that will, might happen. But does your long-term, I mean, it's like you have a, a positive uh, long-term growth. I mean, are, are you factoring in this second wave? Not really. I'm not. I'm assuming Congress How does that look like? More money after July 31st with all these programs and with more checks or more unemployment benefits. Or if you get a job, we'll pay you 400 a week extra to incentivize folks to go over. No trade war and no corona return. Because I think you look at Texas and California and Florida, we have hospital rooms available still. We have ventilators available. We have PPE. We have masks. We've learned how to deal with this. We have, as a country, have said, we don't want to be inconvenienced. That's a choice that we're making. It's causing people to die. But this is a political and economic and freedom decision that Americans are free to make. We can argue we don't like it or we love it, whatever. But as long as hospitals aren't overburdened, people who aren't dying because of lack of, of care. That's really big. If hospitals become overburdened, then you have to close down because that's a whole new, then you walk in and you die. And also we're learning about better treatments. There's remdesivir, 
here in the States and the Brits just discovered some cheap off the shelf $5 uh, uh, steroid can do yeah. a lot of good for people who are being intubated or getting given oxygen. So the sicker you are, the more helpful that is. Had we had that drug here in the States along the whole time, you would have saved 10,000, 15,000 lives. So we'll become more comfortable too. But yeah, I don't think the second wave will be that bad because we've learned how to deal with it. If we have to wear masks and have to stay in and have to social distance, we'll just do it. We, we've done it once. If our life, if we're convinced it's important enough. So it'll hurt, but not nearly as much as the first one. Got Unless it. it's some just massive national terrible thing. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense. And I think what we're seeing in the increase in cases, because Georgia is one of the states that's going up, we have more cases, but they're not as severe. So that's interesting too. So let's hope and, you know, as I cross our fingers, it stays that way. So youngsters, it's youngsters. And look, they're much more able to withstand it. They don't have the comorbidities. Their bodies are in better shape. So they can withstand the virus. And I don't want to wish on anybody. My God. Look, my mother, she's she's 83. My dad's 85. They're not going anywhere. I I buy them groceries if I get it. And I go to Instacart sometimes. So you're a good son. Pardon me. I write, thank you. <laughs> everyone's learned how to manage this within their confines and take the risks right. they're comfortable taking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things that you do is your daily 70 word economic email. I always look forward to getting that. Tell us more about those, why you started those, and then how people can subscribe to them. So I began about, oh, I think it was 09, when, in the midst of the last recession, when Obama, President Obama, reduced the tax on social security Ah. you know the employer pays six percent roughly and the employee pays six i think he cut it to three i don't remember exactly anymore but so we all got a little more of like 50 bucks in our paycheck or 20 bucks whatever it was and i I put on facebook oh this is a good policy it puts money in in people's paycheck quickly and there's no complicated paperwork involved and 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 stuff and i got all this great response people were wow i got comments and i've never done much facebooking so for months i began doing facebooking on economic stuff and then i realized hey maybe i could raise my game make it a little more professional and not use facebook for business purposes although now people do but they didn't 12 mm-hmm. years ago i got my own website and i got a my own godaddy account and began to to put out stuff this email out to people i knew and who wanted to get it and now it's grown to almost 25,000 people who get it every day and it's 70 words on economics, no graphs, no ads, no charts, no links, no photos. I don't waste your time. It's literally 70 words. And it's a full concept. You're getting a whole idea. And on Fridays, when I began, the economy was so bad, kind of like it is now, but it's getting better now. It was so bad. And someone said, why don't you make something happy and fun on Fridays? <laughs> so I have something called the Friday file. And it's always it's like, how much porn is on the web or what's your favorite condiment or how much does it cost to fly into space? All kinds of crazy stuff. This is data, but it's fun data. Right. So I do that Monday through Thursday is serious and often quite depressing. It depends on the situation. <laughs> Little politics, lots of economics, labor markets, inflation, the Fed, all kinds of housing starts, auto sales. But on Friday, it's fun, 70 words. And uh, you can get it pretty easily. All you have to do is text the word bow tie. Uppercase, lowercase, it doesn't matter. Just six letters, no hyphen, no space, suppress the spell checker to the five-digit number 22828. Not even 10 digits, just five. <laughs> you'll be prompted for an email address. You'll fill an email address that I'll be sending it to. You'll hear from me every day till you die. If you go to hell, I keep following you there <laughs> because economics is the dismal science. So bow time to 22828. I hope you sign up. You'll love it. It's fun. It's a, it's a quick 
read on what's important in economics. Uh, gosh, Elliot, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. I hope we, uh, you'll return to the show on a regular basis. Before we let you go, however, should people need to reach out to you and connect and learn more about your work at Graphs and Laughs? And if you could also show the, uh, the sign-up window for the uh, 70 word economics email one last time, just so everyone can learn how to find you. How do they find you? Uh, my website's econ70.com, E C O N, the number seven, the number zero, because the 70 word blog I put out, dot com, econ70.com. And there, you, there's a place you can find and send me an email. And then I'll respond right away. You'll have my email address and we'll be good to go. Outstanding. Dr. Elliot Eisenberg, the president of Graphs and Laughs. Elliot, it was a great pleasure to have you. Thanks for carving out some time to join us. Thank you, Carol. I look forward to next time already. I hope you have a great Q3. Thank you. I do too. (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps this week's All About Real Estate Edition. On behalf of our show sponsor, New American Funding, my co-host, Carol Morgan, I am Todd Schneck. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And we'll look forward to seeing you again right here next week. We'll see you then. Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio is sponsored by New American Funding and made possible by Denim Marketing, the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite source for real estate and home building news. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio.